And please turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We had to do one more Christmas hymn because, as pastors Andrew and Mike said, we are in the season of Christmas. You know, in our culture, we do Christmas before Christmas and then till Christmas Day, and then everybody's really excited for Christmas to be over on the 26th, when in reality, that's when Christmas starts. So we are in the 12 days of Christmas. That will take us to Epiphany on January 6th. And so, um, Merry Christmas. Again, Happy New Year. Hail uh, the Word made flesh. That's what we're doing here. And um, so we're, we're going to spend this morning thinking about the new year, often on either the last Sunday of a calendar year or the first Sunday, depending on how, you know, Advent and Christmas falls, uh, we, we usually take a Sunday, take a, a sermon, take a moment as a church to reflect back on the year, to look forward to the new year, and to think about our blessed hope, which is the second coming of Jesus and the new creation, the hope of resurrection. Uh, the new year kind of evokes that, that feeling, those thoughts of, of the new, of the different, of hope, of something to look forward to. And uh, so we will be back in the book of Acts next Sunday. Pastor Kevin will be preaching from Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you can be here, we would um, want you, well, we want you here every week just so you know. But next week, uh, we're going to start the service, have all the elders uh, up here on stage. We're going to recommit again for 2024 our commitment to preaching the Word of God, preaching Christ from the Scripture, and uh, you'll want to be here to, uh, to, to be bolstered uh, with us in that. So, so join us next Sunday, and again, Pastor Kevin will be preaching from Acts chapter 8. This morning, though, we will Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, our text for this New Year's Eve 2023. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1, this is what the Holy Spirit says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we, we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So we ask now, Father, that you would let there be light. We pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the Word made flesh, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired your prophets and your apostles to write your holy, inerrant, inspired, God-breathed Word. Amen. I've been thinking about you guys all week. That's nothing new, of course. Um, I think about you every week. Pastor Kevin and I think about you, pray for you, talk about you. The church is generous enough and responsible enough to pay full-time salaries for Pastor Kevin and myself in order that we might think about you all week. But this week, I was thinking about you specifically in light of today, in light of tonight. And in light of tomorrow. And I've been wondering all week how you're feeling on this New Year's Eve. Are you excited? Excited for a new year? Do you have a theme for 2024? Do you have a New Year's resolution? Is there something big that you're looking forward to in 2024, like a wedding or an engagement? Are you pregnant or trying to get pregnant in 2024? Maybe anticipating a new job or a job promotion or maybe a graduation? Are you excited right now about what 2024 might bring? I'm sure some of you are. But I'm sure there are others of you that are hurting right now. Maybe 2024 will be the first full year that he or she is gone. Maybe it'll be the second full year. Or maybe it's been several years, but the pain still doesn't fade. Maybe your health is failing. Maybe you're in financial trouble. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're struggling with infertility or any number of trials or tribulations that we face. And so regardless of whether you're leaping into 2024 or limping into 2024, when the clock strikes midnight tonight, 2024 will be here. Time marches on, and so must we. 
So regardless of what 2024 is going to bring you, to bring us, we know, we have sung, we have confessed, we have prayed this morning, we believe the promise, church, that regardless of our circumstances, there is an anchor for the soul. And that's what I hope to remind you of from this text this morning. Our text, of course, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The epistle of 2 Corinthians addresses the relationship between suffering and life in the Spirit. How can those two realities coexist? Can those who live in the Spirit still experience suffering? And if so, how do we think about those two realities? That's the major theme of 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 5, the section that we read this morning, Paul is detailing for us a section of how, um, how the new covenant that Jesus has inaugurated affects the way that we live in the Spirit. So specifically in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is addressing um, living a life of faith, and the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given in light of the good news of Jesus. So my goal, this, that, that's, that's how Paul wrote it. That was his intention behind writing it. My goal this morning, as we think together for a few moments on this New Year's Eve 2023, my goal is to encourage you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to live for Jesus in 2024. Regardless of your circumstance, regardless of whether you are excited or hurting, the most important thing that any of us can do in 2024 is to live for Jesus. And this pericope gives us six reasons why. Six reasons why you should live for Jesus in 2024. The first reason we see in verses 1 through 5 is because this world is not our home. Live for Jesus in 2024 because this world is not your home. Paul uses some Old Testament imagery here in verses 1 through 5 to paint this picture. He compares our lives now in this world, in the flesh, to the tent, and he compares our future with God to a building. Your life now is a tent, your future, resurrection, new creation, that's a building. The tent that Paul's evoking here is the tabernacle. When he says the tent, he's referring to the tabernacle. His first century audience would have understood that he was referring to the tabernacle. And the building that he's referring to is the temple. The tabernacle represents your life now. The temple represents your life in eternity, if your faith is in Jesus. The tabernacle was transient. It was small. It was simple. The temple was more permanent. It was large. It was opulent. Our earthly tent, our earthly tabernacle, can and will be destroyed. The storms of sin and suffering wear us down until one day we will all face death. But the building, the building from God, the house that is not made with hands, the true temple that is eternal in the heavens, Paul says, that lasts forever. We groan for that. We groan for the comfort and security 
of eternity. Every human being who has ever lived yearns for that. I, mean, I, was, I was watching an interview uh, this past week with Dwight Freeney, who used to play for the Indianapolis Colts. He uh, is... Um, he could potentially uh, be put into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, he's, he's on the ballot, and they were, he was being interviewed, and someone was asking him, if you could rather win the Super Bowl or be in the Hall of Fame, which would you choose? And he said, oh, I would choose the Hall of Fame. And they said, why? And he said, because if, if you're in the Hall of Fame, that's immortal. That lasts forever. Your, your story is told forever. And what, what, is, what is that, what's the rea- what's that yearning that he's describing? We all want eternal life, right? Everybody wants the things that they do, the life that they live to matter. Everybody wants to be thought of forever, to be living on. There's this in deep inside of us, we yearn, we yearn for eternity. We yearn for eternal life because we were created in the image of God to live forever. It's intrinsic to who we are as image bearers. And so we groan for that comfort and that security juxtaposition with the reality that we're living in the tabernacle. That doesn't last forever. That is transient. We, we groan to be clothed in life, Paul says. And the good news we see here in 2 Corinthians 5 is that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of comfort, security, and life. The Holy Spirit is the down payment for eternity. The Holy Spirit is God's Uh, proof that in Christ you can live forever. You will live forever if you are in Christ. When the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, what he did is he gave us a little bit of eternity right now so that we know what's coming. And the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. That's what he does. Why? Because this world is not our home. Jesus is our true home. Jesus is the true and final temple of God. John 2, 19 through 22. Jesus said, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. And John tells us that after his resurrection, the disciples knew that he was talking about his own body. Jesus is the true and final temple. Jesus is the place where sins are forgiven. Jesus is the place where God dwells with his people. Jesus is the one who clothes us in his righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit, what he does is he testifies to Jesus. He testifies to Jesus through the word. He testifies to Jesus through the sacraments. And he does that in part, church, so that we don't ever get too comfortable here. Because this world is not our home. When we make the things of the world, money, relationships, stuff, education, work, anything, when we make these things ultimate things, they only ever let us down. Because the life we were created for, the life that we truly long for, does not exist in this world. This world is nakedness in the tent, and we long to be clothed in the building. So don't live for the things of the world in 2024. Live for Jesus Because this world is not your home. Secondly, live for Jesus in 2024 because Jesus will judge you on the last day. Paul goes on in verses 6 through 8 to encourage us that we must walk by faith. We walk by faith because while we are here in the body, 
Paul says that we are away from the Lord. And when we are away from the body, we are at home with the Lord. Paul then goes on to say that he would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's probably hard for some of you to understand. Because when you're young and when you're healthy, it's hard to imagine longing for heaven. But I suspect that the older you get and the more loss that you experience and the more sin and suffering waste away at your earthly tent, I suspect the more you can identify with the apostle here. When he says, I would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I imagine some of you even wholeheartedly agree with verse 8. Regardless of your mentality, though, this morning, the text reminds us in verses 9 and 10 that whether we are in the body or away from the body, our aim must be to please God. And Paul says the reason why our aim must be to please God is that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When Jesus returns, he will raise the dead, judge the world, and make all things new. We confessed earlier in the creed that Christ will return from the right hand of the Father to judge the living and the dead. When you stand before King Jesus in judgment on the last day, he will either find a life of faith or not. And that will make all the difference. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds, they all matter because each one will receive what is due for what he or she has done in the body, whether good or bad, the text says. That's why in verse 11, Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Church, our relationship with Jesus isn't one of fear exclusively. But don't get that wrong. Don't neuter the scripture. You should have fear. Fear of the Lord is healthy. It is good. It is required. It is biblical. If there is not some fear motivating you to persevere because of the fact that you will stand before Jesus in judgment, if if there's 0% of the fear of the Lord motivating you to live for Jesus, then you don't understand the final judgment, then you don't understand the sovereignty of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7 tells us that at the final judgment, there will be people who do not know Jesus, who were convinced that they knew Jesus. People who say, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. That is a terrifying thought. That's serious. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. By the way, that's Matthew 7, 22 and 23. That final, final judgment. So, In 2024, church, make it your aim to please God. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus in 2024 because the judgment is coming. King Jesus will judge all. Jesus is king and everyone will answer to him. That is an appointment that none of us are getting out of. Live for Jesus in 2024 because Jesus will judge you on the last day. Number three, live for Jesus in 2024 because Jesus died 
in order that his people might live for him. Listen to verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, some Christians have confused this vocabulary and have taken it to mean that Jesus died for everybody. Obviously, that's not true because if Jesus died for everybody, then everybody would be saved. Right? The, the death of Jesus is effective. or It works. There's no one who Jesus died for that is going to hell. So what is the all that he's talking about? The all that he's referring to is all who believe. Jesus died for all who believe, therefore all who believe have died. And he died for all who believe that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All the church, that's who Jesus died for, and those are the ones who live for him. And Paul's point is that if your faith is in Christ, you have died with Christ. In order that you might no longer live for yourself, but for the one who died and was raised for you. That's why the sacrament of baptism is our doorway into faith and into church membership. Because in baptism, we reenact the death and resurrection with Christ. Just like Israel was led out of slavery in Egypt through the water, right, through the Red Sea, in order that they might be a people who belong to Yahweh, a people who keep God's law, so we are in faith led out of the slave market of sin and death through the waters of baptism, and into this life now where we belong to Christ and where we live for Christ. If you're a Christian, then your life does not belong to you. Your life is not your own. You have died with Jesus. You have been resurrected with Jesus, so you belong to Jesus. So in 2024, live for Jesus because you belong to Jesus. Number four, live for Jesus in 2024 because if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Because we have died and resurrected with Christ, we are no longer, Paul says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't regard people according to the flesh. What does that mean? We don't view anyone naturalistically. We don't interact with anybody as if this life is all there is. We don't interact with anybody as if there's no heaven or hell, as if there is no final judgment. We don't interact with anybody as if there is no good news. C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We cannot help but view people this way because verse 17 tells us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In our call to worship, Pastor Bobby read from Isaiah chapter 42. It's, it's Isaiah 42 that Paul's borrowing the language from. Did you notice that? In verse 8 or 9, when, he, when, when Isaiah writes, Behold, the old has gone away and the new has come. What's he talking about? Isaiah 42 starts with Yahweh promising the righteous one who's going to come and give sight to the blind and to heal the lame. And he's going to bring light to the nations. Isaiah is foreshadowing Jesus who comes and with Jesus comes the new. 
the new creation. The old is passing away. The old covenant is passing away. The new covenant has come. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the one who brings the new. And Paul, that's why Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, that's an important question because the New Testament uses that language a lot to describe believers. The New Testament uses it a lot. Paul uses it a lot. You know, believers, people who have faith in Jesus, they're only referred to as Christians like one time in the New Testament. But over and over and over again, people who believe in Jesus are referred to as those who are in Christ. That's how we are described. We are in Christ. In Christ describes our identity. That is who we are. People seek identity in everything under the sun. Eastern cultures find their identity in honor, family, tradition. In the West, we are individualistic, and so we find our identity in our sexuality or in our wealth, or in our education, or our work. But the pericope reveals to us here that our true identity, our most important identity that we can have is to be in Christ. There is nothing more important. And to be in Christ means that your faith is in Christ. How do you know if you have faith in Christ? The Reformed tradition has long defined faith in terms of three facets, knowledge, assent, and trust. So to have faith in Christ, first and foremost, means that you know, that you have knowledge, that you know who Christ is and what Christ did. You must know that God is your holy creator. You must know that you have sinned against him. You need to know that Jesus, who is the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the uh, Virgin Mary, that Jesus lived without sin and died on the cross to pay for the sins of his people, and that on the third day Jesus rose again from the dead, which validated everything he ever said and everything he ever did and gives us hope for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. You have to know that. That's the knowledge you need, but that knowledge of this good news, it's not faith. It falls short of faith because faith also includes assent. Assent means that you affirm and do not deny this good news. You assent to the validity of the gospel. You acknowledge that the story is true. Finally, you must transfer your trust to Jesus. You need the knowledge, you need the assent, and you need the trust. Trust is non-negotiable. Trust is what differentiates a lot of people who grew up in Christianity, who know all the facts about Jesus, but are going to go to hell because they're not trusting in Jesus. Trust means you're resting the full weight of your righteousness in Jesus. Trust means that you humble yourself before Jesus and that you acknowledge that Jesus is your only hope and that without Jesus, you deserve eternal conscious punishment in hell. Like a deer that approaches a stream, you must confess that you have nothing to offer Jesus other than the reality that without Jesus, you die. That is trust. And if God has given you the gift of faith, it will be revealed then in your repentance. So your repentance, your living for Jesus is not what saves you, but it's your repentance that reveals that God has saved you. To repent means to confess your sin and to turn from your sin. 
It means to agree with what the scripture says about your sin. So this is a good time to stop and evaluate. Because again, we, the Bible doesn't teach works-based salvation. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing you can do to earn the forgiveness of sins. Faith is a gift that comes from God. But if God has given you faith, then you will repent. You will confess your sin. You will turn from your sin. And you will follow Jesus. So if you are not following Jesus, if you are not repenting of your sin, you need to reflect and think do I even have faith? Because my repentance doesn't make me a Christian. It doesn't save me. But if there's no repentance, that probably means there's no faith. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. For the kingdom of God is at hand in Mark chapter 1. Repentance is proof that God has given you the gift of faith. And if God has given you the gift of faith, then you are in Christ. And the text says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That means that the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth that we long for, that place where sin and death will be no more, that place where everything sad will be untrue, that new creation has already started inside of us. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on Easter morning. He was the firstborn of the new creation. And Paul says, we are in him, in Christ. I love that Paul uses the word behold, hene, behold. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. Because we don't like ever behold things, you know? We want things fast, easy, cheap, quick. We don't often behold, but Paul says, behold this. He's inviting us to stop and take a breath and think about what this means. Think about what it means to be in Christ. Think about what it means to be a new creation. Think about what it means for the old covenant to be fulfilled in Jesus. Think about what it means to be in the new covenant because you're in Christ Think about what it means that Jesus is remaking this whole world and he's starting in your heart. Because that's true. Because you're in Christ. Because you're a new creation. So live for Jesus. Live for Jesus in 2024 because you're a new creation who's in Christ, don't live for the old things that have passed away. You're a new creation. You're the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. So let's live like that's true. Fifth, live for Jesus in 2024 because you are an ambassador of Christ. If you are in Christ, Paul says, you are an ambassador of Christ. Because we are a part of the new creation already. We are citizens of the new creation. We are citizens of heaven, even as we sojourn in this world. We are ambassadors of that new creation. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We make an appeal to those who do not believe in hopes that they might believe. We are all evangelists. We all share the gospel. We all tell lost people the good news of Jesus. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you're a missionary, if you're a deacon. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about believers. He's talking about those who are in Christ. We are all ambassadors of Christ. Church, this is why we preach Christ every single Sunday from all the scriptures. Because we implore everyone on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you even now, if you're not trusting in Jesus, be reconciled to God. Repent and believe. If you don't think that this is the most important thing in the whole world. You are blind. 
There's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than being reconciled to God. There's nothing more important for your spouse. There's nothing more important for your kids. Do you preach Jesus to your kids? If you don't, what's wrong with you? There's nothing more important than this. Do you want them to go to hell? Seriously. Be reconciled to God. This is, we're, we're ambassadors. For your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, anyone. There's nothing more important than they be reconciled to God. Church, let's make it a priority in 2024 to live for Jesus by sharing Jesus. No one's saying you need to be a street preacher. No one's saying you need to go out on the corner with a megaphone. But when God gives you an opportunity with anyone, this is what you do. This is, it's, I know it's scary, it's awkward. I get it. But whenever you, you feel that opportunity that God's given you in conversation with anyone, simply just tell them the truth, right? Just speak to them as if the gospel is real, because it is. Speak to them how we would speak to each other here at church. And it's going to feel awkward for them. They might not fully know what you're saying, right? But trust the Spirit and trust the Word. Just say it. Just say it. Say it like you would say, the Pistons finally won last night. That's, that's a fact, right? That happened. Hey, Jesus rose from the dead. You've got to repent and believe. You've got to be reconciled to God. Man, just say it. It is awkward. It's uncomfortable. But you know what? It's the most important thing in the whole world. Let us live for Jesus by sharing Jesus. Tell them it's their only hope. And then leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not your job to save anyone. In fact, it is impossible for you to save anyone. It cannot happen. Your job is simply to speak the truth. You are not the king. You are the ambassador. Speak on behalf of your king. Live for Jesus and share Jesus in 2024 because you are an ambassador of Jesus. Finally, live for Jesus in 2024 because, church, we are the righteousness of God. That's what verse 21 says. Verse 21 is one of the clearest presentations of the gospel that we have in all the scripture. Let's look at it again. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Paul's saying Jesus knew no sin. Jesus never sinned in thought, word, or deed. Not once. He never broke God's law. He never broke one of the Ten Commandments in thought, word, or deed, ever. He's the only human to ever do that. He obeyed God's law perfectly. Jesus knew no sin. But the gospel, amen, the gospel is that God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus knew no sin. Jesus was sinless, perfect, law-abiding, law-keeping, and God made him to be sin. Jesus died the cursed death on the cross of sinners. Jesus stood in the place of all of the elect, bearing God's judgment, bearing God's wrath for our sins. Think about this. Again, let's stop and behold for a moment. Every sin that every Christian has ever committed in thought, word, or deed. Think about just yourself. 
every sin you've ever committed. You can't even remember them all. None of us can. You can't even remember every sin you've committed yesterday in thought, word, or deed. So take that into account and apply it to all of the elect for all time, beginning with Adam, all the way to whoever is the last convert before Jesus returns. And that hasn't happened yet, right? So all believers for all time, every sin they ever committed in thought, word, or deed, that's what Jesus was on the cross. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus became the very rebellion against God that cursed humanity and the world in order to save the rebels. And it was because of the cross then that God could accomplish what we call the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, our guilt, our shame, our wrath, our judgment, our hell. It was put on the one who knew no sin. And now, through faith and repentance, God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' perfect, law-abiding, law-keeping, never-sinning-in-thought-word-or-deed record God gives to us because Jesus took our sin, shame, guilt, wrath, hell, judgment. That's what it means when the text says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are united to Christ by faith so that when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Our sin was imputed to Christ on the cross, so now by faith Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That's the gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe that good news? Amen. I hope so. Because you must. If you don't, you must. You must live for Jesus in 2024 because if you have faith in Christ, this is who you are. You are the righteousness of God. You are in Christ and his righteousness is imputed to you. Yes, you still battle your sin. Yes, you still give in to temptation. Yes, you still must repent. That's why Pastor Mike led us in the confession and pardon. That's why we do it every week, because we are sinners. Because we're, as Martin Luther said, we are at the same time justified and sinners. But if your faith is in Jesus, you have been declared righteous by God because of Jesus. So in 2024, live like that is true. Strive for that which is outside of your grasp. Not in order to earn God's favor, but because you already have it. If your faith is in Jesus. You know, a lot of people view tonight and tomorrow, they view New Year's, January 1st, as a fresh start. You know, the gyms will be full, produce aisles will be empty, new year, new you, it's a fresh start. Whether you're coming into 2024 excited or depressed, Motivated or stressed out? Leaping or limping? There is only one fresh start that can cleanse you of your guilt and shame. There is only one fresh start 
that can give you meaning and identity. There is only one fresh start that can give you hope for the future and peace and joy, even in the midst of the most crippling circumstances. And that is the gospel. The gospel is the only legitimate fresh start and faith in Jesus is the most important thing that you can ever do. So church, Christ community, church, let's live for Jesus in 2024 because God has promised us in his word that we will not regret it. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask now that you would keep your promise, that your word would not return void. Father, we ask that the light would shine in the darkness and that for anyone in the gathering who has not repented and believed the gospel, that you would open their eyes to see their need for Jesus because you are their holy creator and they have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And their only hope is the righteousness of your son imputed to them by faith. Father, we pray for your people who are trusting in your promises as we come into this new calendar year. Some excited, some hurting, most probably a mixture of both. Father, we ask that regardless of what this year brings us, that you would persevere in us. We cannot persevere in the faith of our own strength. If it's up to us, then we will fail. Father, we acknowledge our weakness. We confess our sin. And we cling to the promise that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That the old has passed and the new has come. And so, Father, we ask that in 2024 we would live like that is true. That we would believe the promises. That we would follow Jesus in obedience. Bless us now. As we come to your holy meal, Lord, help us to remember and to proclaim the good news of your son, Jesus. And we pray for Christ Community Church for 2024. Father, that we would be steadfast and immovable in the gospel, that we would preach Christ, that we would be faithful to serve one another and to serve our community And above all else, that the name of Jesus would be made famous here at the corner of 14 and Van Dyke for as long as you tarry. For your glory, for our good, we pray. Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.